Uh, we have been in a series called One Hit Wonders, and we, this is part four of that series where basically we are looking at the books of the Bible that only have a single chapter in them. There are these very short books of the Bible. We started in Obadiah, which is this small little prophetic book in the Old Testament. And then we, we went through the book of Philemon, a little letter in the New Testament. Last Sunday, we were in 2 John. And today, we will be in 3 John. And these are small books that sometimes we skip over. Uh, sometimes we even have a difficulty finding them in our Bible because they're so short. And I mean, when you say Obadiah, people think you're lying. There's no book of Obadiah. You're trying to trick me. But today we'll be in 3 John. And so if you're in your Bible, you would turn almost all the way to the end of the Bible. It is the third to last book in the back of your Bible today. And we're going to be in 3 John. Again, just like in 2 John, the author of this letter is a guy named John. It was not a trick question. John, he's an apostle, a disciple of Jesus. John also serves as an overseer of a network of house churches. And in 2 John, we read last week about how, you know, John, he was writing a letter to a specific house church in the house churches that he oversaw in the early first century. And he was commending their work uh, in the truth and encouraging them to continue in love. He warned them about false teachers and not to give support or aid to those that preached a different gospel. And in 3 John, where we're going to be in today, um, John is now writing to a specific person in one of these house churches. And he commends the reader for their great hospitality towards others, and he also warns him about an arrogant, prideful, rebellious leader that is turning people away from the church. All that in this short little book. So if you're there with me, you can turn to 3 John. If you want to We'll have the scriptures on the screen. If you want to look in a physical Bible, 3 John is where we're at. You can grab the orange Bible in the seat in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible and write your name in it. It's a gift to you from New Life Church. We really believe that the Word of God is foundational. So we're in 3 John. Verse 1 says, The Elder. And remember from last week that when they would address letters, they usually wouldn't address it um, to you. They would start off with who wrote it. And John, the, the apostle, is also known as the elder. Um, this word can, can mean that he's older. <laughs> and, um, and, and so, which, which is why we also know that he is an overseer of these house churches. So, so this is John, the elder. He says, to my friend Gaius, with uh, whom I love in the truth. He says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that it may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy 
than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And now all of us parents would say, amen. It would give us no greater joy than to see our children walking in the truth. He's commending Gaius for his personal faithfulness to the truth, which is, uh, I think, a testament to the example Gaius may have had from someone like John. So the first thing I want to tell you today is that your faithfulness will be the forerunner to your children's faithfulness. Your faithfulness will be the forerunner to those who go after you. That your faith, your consistency in the truth and in love, you are a pioneer for your family, for your children. Now John, he is, when he says, it brings me no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, John is not writing to his biological children, but he sees this, this group of people, this group of followers of Jesus, he sees them as like spiritual children to him. Spiritual children in the sense that John has likely helped lead some of these people to salvation in Jesus. These, he sees them as children because he has invested his life into teaching them, encouraging them, cheering them on, and watching them grow in the faith. So he sees these, these people in the church, he sees Gaius and those in his church as like children to him. And we would call this our spiritual children. I know that for me personally, I, there is somebody in my life that I have always considered to be my spiritual father. He is not my biological father, but he is one that has helped me grow up in the faith. And, and so when, when, we, when we read here, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. This could be, this, either whether biological or spiritual, there is no greater joy than seeing people that have followed what you pioneered in the faith, that your faithfulness will be the forerunner to other people's faithfulness, biological or not. So this goes for us even today. Today, that, that those of us that are parents, yes, as well, that it would bring us no greater joy than to see our children follow in the footsteps of faith. But also, for those that teach, for those that teach in the church, for those that lead a life group, there's no greater joy to our life group leaders here at New Life than to watch those in their group take next steps in their faith. To watch, I, I, I personally, in leading groups over the years, I've been able to, to see people in our groups say, I've, I, I just prayed out loud for the first time in my life. I've never prayed out loud before. Or, or to watch people in our group say, I've not been baptized. And our groups surround them and say, man, we want to encourage you to be baptized. To watch people in our life group share their needs, praying for one another, learning scripture for the first time and watching them grow. There's no greater joy. Come on, life group leaders. There's no greater joy than watching those in our groups take these next steps. Your faithfulness will be the forerunner to other people's faithfulness. 
So if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are a coach, if you are any person of influence, which is all of us, I want to encourage you, be faithful, be consistent, because you just might be pioneering into uncharted territory for those that are following you. Come on, parents, you are, you are pioneering a way for your family. For everybody that teaches, everybody that leads a group, those that are purposeful in encouraging your friends. Like, listen, like, you may not have a title, but if you are a friend, you also, your consistency and faithfulness to your friends can help lead them in their consistency and faithfulness to the Lord. There is no greater joy. You know, Jenny and I, we've been doing ministry for nearly 15 years, and, uh, and next month we will celebrate 15 years being married. And uh, over the years, uh, Jenny and I uh, have, have had many young people that have been in our ministries that we now are watching get married. I've even performed many of these wedding ceremonies. No greater joy. And we've seen some of young people that came up through our ministry that have been, gotten married and are having children and, and raising their children in the church, being involved in the church. We've seen young people even uh, since the call of ministry and, um, and following the Lord in that way. I've watched interns of mine that are now pastoring in churches. My three boys see in their hearts to serve the, the underserved, their love for the Lord, their love for camp, their love for worship, all the things that helped change my life, seeing my boys love those things, it gives me no greater joy. I think of all the friends that Jenny and I have encouraged, the friends that we have cheered on in their hopes and dreams, seeing them grow as married people, seeing our friends grow as parents, seeing them grow as leaders, watching them grow in their business, uh, watching them become successful. I'm telling you, no greater joy than to see people walking in the truth. So your faithfulness is a forerunner. It goes before others and their faithfulness. So my encouragement to you is stay faithful. Stay faithful. Because let me ask you this, those of you that are here today, you're probably here today either because you've been in church a long time or maybe you're here because that you just you know you want to get your life right and it should start with God, but, but most of us, probably all, nearly 100% of us are here today because somebody in the faith went before you. Somebody in the faith was your forerunner. And that person might be a parent. That person might be a grandparent. That person might be a friend, a youth pastor, a life group leader. But there have been people that have had a direct effect on my personal life. And I will tell you that the last 15 years of our ministry is because of people like my spiritual father. That when I was 11 years old, he saw something in me, he believed in me, he gave me opportunity, he let me fail, and he let me try again. And he called out greatness in me, he was an encouragement to me, he provided for me, he was generous to me, and, uh, and because of people like that is why I am who I am today. And because of people like that is why you're sitting here this morning. Because there has been someone in your life that their faithfulness was your forerunner. 
They pioneered a way, have given you an example that somehow inspired you to try to follow in their footsteps. So who led you in the faith? Who was your forerunner? A brother, a sister, a friend? It's, I promise you, whoever that forerunner is for you, a parent, grandparent, friend, I promise you, it is their greatest joy to see you on the journey to faith. It is their greatest joy to see you on this journey to faith. So be faithful. Be faithful. And I guarantee you, whether they are still in your life or they have moved on from this life, they're cheering you on. Cheering you on. There's no greater joy than to see our children walk in great faithfulness. People that we have influenced walk in faithfulness. I think it's every parent, every leader's goal that our ceiling becomes the next generation's floor. And whoever was the forerunner in faith for you, and you might idolize them. You might think, man, they did so much for the faith. I just, if I could be half the person they were, and they're saying, no, 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 I believe you're more than half the person. I believe that where I left off is where you will start. And you, my ceiling will be your floor. Someone who went before you is cheering you on, and someone behind you is waiting to know the way. Someone before you is cheering you on. Someone behind you is waiting to be shown the way. Because as their faithfulness was the forerunner to yours, yours will be the forerunner to someone else. We like to say that everybody has a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. There's people that have gone before you. There's people that you are joined together with in this season of life. And there are people that you are leading as well. So the challenge is to think about those that have gone before you, but who are you going before? Maybe one day you'll have children. Maybe you have young children now. Maybe you have adult children and they've, they've gone astray. Be faithful. Your faithfulness is a forerunner to their faith. Proverbs 22.6, it says it like this. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they were old, they will not turn from it. I was a youth pastor for many years and I remember I would teach and I'd preach. I'd invest in the young people's lives and I'd go home and I'd tell Jenny, I don't think they hear a word I'm saying. I feel like we just have, we just have young people come to the church chasing skirts and trousers. I don't know that they hear me. And then I feel like the Lord gave me an encouragement one time years and years ago. He said, they may not hear you now, but they will hear you someday. And that has always been my prayer in ministry, that they may not hear me now. You may not hear me now, but one day when you hit rock bottom, you will remember, I had this crazy pastor. I don't even remember his name, but I remember him telling me to be faithful. And I would just cling to that. So this is the thing. Start them off the way they should go. Start them. Be faithful. Showing them the right way. Being the example. Start them off. And they may not 
be listening, they may be rebellion, but just stay faithful and be true and show them the truth, rooted in love, they won't stray from it. Your faithfulness will be a forerunner as the, your forerunners have led you to your faith. Third John, verse 5, it, he continues on, he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And so John, he's writing to Gaius here, and he's commending Gaius for taking in these traveling ministers, these evangelists, these missionaries. He's commending them that you take them in, even though they're strangers to them and, and to you, and, and you give them support, you financially are supporting them. You're bringing them into your home. You're feeding them. You're, you're encouraging them. You're resourcing them. And he's commending him for doing this even though they are strangers to you. Or you can even say it this way, even though they can do nothing in return, you're generous to them. And he goes on, he says, they, they've told the church all about your love. In other words, when these people encountered Gaius' hospitality, they leave from that place and say, dude, I went to New Life Church last week. Those people loved me, supported me. It was unbelievable. And John's saying, I'm hearing about your love, your hospitality towards others. So please send them their way in a manner that honors God. It was for, this, it was for the sake of the name, capitalized. Whose name are they referring to then? Jesus, capital name. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that uh, we may work together for the truth. He's commending Caius for his incredible hospitality to people. We have a whole team of people that serve every Sunday morning here at New Life, and we call them the hospitality team to serve people as they enter into our building. There's something about good hospitality that just makes you feel the love, isn't there? Have you, maybe you, you have your, your favorite restaurant, hotel chain, or, 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 or some type of service provider that, that really go the extra mile in their hospitality. And just that little touch makes a big difference. But in order to be hospitable, you have to take on a others first mentality. That's the second thing I want you to know. Take on a others first mentality to serve, to be hospitable. Gaius gives us this great example of that. And it's not on the screen, but I want to read you a familiar story from the gospel. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, so just, just listen for a moment. It says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Listen to Jesus' response. He says, well, what is written in the law? In other words, what is written in Scripture? He he and Jesus replied, so what is written in Scripture and how do you read it? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, 
and love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You know, there's a difference between your answer and your reality. He says, you've answered correctly. Do it and live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells him a story. And he says this. Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho one day when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, a Levite would also be priestly, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. It stands to note here that Jesus is talking to an expert in the law, which would have been a Pharisee, a Jew. And Jesus gives three examples of how they handled this half-dead man on the side of the road. The first two people he mentions are Jewish priests, just probably very similar to the man he's talking to. The third example, he says, and then a Samaritan. This would be the equivalent of saying two Purdue fans <laughs> passed by the half-dead man. Well, it's more than that. Two Purdue fans passed by a half-dead Purdue fan. Their own. And then a IU fan. Hey, watch it. And then an IU fan saw the half-dead Purdue fan and had mercy on him. So in the story, Jesus uses a man that the Jewish people would have hated. Now, in a parable, a lot of times you think, see things happen in three. The reason is, is because in the parable, of the three things, the parable is being told so that the, 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 the listener or the reader of the parable has to identify themselves as one of the three. So Jesus gives this teacher of the law, a Jewish man, he gives him two Jews, a priest and a Levite, and he gives him an IU fan. I mean, he gives him a Samaritan. The teacher of the law that's testing Jesus knows that in this parable, he has to identify who he is in the story. Jews don't identify themselves as, IU, as Samaritans. So, he's, so he tried to trick Jesus, but Jesus just tricked him. He says, 
in this story, you're either the priest, you're the Levite, or you're the Samaritan. And he says, in the, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just stop at pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a sum of money, and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense that you have. And then Jesus asked the Purdue fan this question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now remember, the original question was, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? The man responds correctly, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, go and do that, and you'll live for eternity. And the man says, well, who's my neighbor? And now Jesus says, which one of these three you think was a neighbor to the half-dead man? The expert of the law replies, notice he does not say Samaritan. (laughs) He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So who's your neighbor? Anyone who needs mercy. And we all do. You see, his answer was right. But Jesus knew his reality. He knew this man's reality would likely be an other side of the road type. And he exposed that through the parable in his questions. You see, the inner reality is not a reality until it is outwardly expressed. Go and do likewise. So we must take on an others first mentality. Because here's the thing. If people matter to God, then they had better matter to us too. There is a scientific principle called the anthropic principle. The anthropic principle is a secular science principle that essentially takes a very broad, zoomed-out perspective on life. And the anthropic principle assumes, and it makes the conclusion, that the universe is so incredibly fine, fine-tuned that if just very small variables in the universe were changed humanity couldn't exist. Everything from the exact tilt of the axis of the earth 
the exact distance of the earth from the sun, the exact rotation, the exact orbit of the moon, the exact layout of the entire solar system, that the anthropic principle states that just you change one variable in the air we breathe, humanity can't live. And so this secular scientific thing called the anthropic principle points out that it seems as though from a very broad perspective that the entire universe all was put in place for one purpose in order to sustain human life. You change some things, the sun still exists, the earth still exists, the solar system still exists, but you, you change one thing, humanity can't exist. We, the whole universe is so finely tuned, it is balanced on a razor's edge. And even the secular scientific world looks at this with the anthropic principle and says, it seems as though this whole thing is in order to do one thing, support human life. And I'm telling you, if God would go through all the trouble to build all of this, our entire universe, the air we breathe is precise. You change it just a little bit. A little bit, we don't exist. You change the Earth's position from the sun, we don't exist. You change the axis, we don't, the axis of the Earth, we don't have seasons. All of these precisely tuned things, God went through a whole lot of trouble to have you. And what, the, what I see from the scientific anthropic principle is that people must really matter to God that he would go through all of that to support humanity. And if people matter to God, then people better matter to us too. To take on an others first mentality, just like Gaius, who was gifted in hospitality to other people. Go and do likewise. Go show mercy. Go be others first. Show hospitality because that is what the love of God does. And so we go on in 3 John verse 9. John tells guys, he says, hey, I wrote to the church, but, idotroph- uh, uh, but Diotrephes, who loves to be what? First. He says, I wrote to you before, but, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, would not welcome us, which is not hospitable, is it? So first he commends Gaius with this great hospitality, but now there's going to be a, a, a kind of contradiction to that. We're going to see a flip side in this other guy named Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So, so John says, so listen, when I come... <laughs> I will call attention to what he is doing. (laughs) Spreading malicious nonsense about us. And not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So first we just read all about this great hospitality of Gaius and and, and, and what he's doing to welcome people and encourage people, he says, but there's this rascal, Diotrephes. And he loves to be first. 
He refuses to let anybody be hospitable, refuses to welcome others, and even puts people out of the church. And I think the third thing we can see here in, in 3 John is that a me-first mentality, it turns people away. A me-first mentality will always repel people. Hospitality attracts people. I think that some of my biggest pet peeves when I go to some kind of service provider and there's all these signs of rules and things to follow and it's like I, you feel like you have to work for them just to buy from them. <laughs> and, but, there's, but, but I love when you walk into a, a provide goods and service provider and they go the extra mile to serve you and they make the process as easy as possible. Uh, that's why we try to make things easy for you to sign up for a group and easy for you to give and easy for you to get involved. That's, that's our hospitality towards you to attract you to what we do. Anyway, that is not in my notes as a total rant, but um, <laughs> we should take on an others first mentality and, um, and, and absolutely no knock at all because I will obviously be returning. This is body by donuts. So <laughs> a me first mentality turns people away. I'll tell you this. Nobody wants to follow a me-first leader. Nobody wants to work for a me-first employer. Nobody wants to be married to a me-first person. No one will respect a me-first friend. It turns people away. And far be it from us at New Life Church to ever be a me first church. A have church my way kind of church. Songs my way, pray my way, preach my way. We use we used to do it a certain way kind of way. Me first turns people away. And here at New Life, we, we have established that there are certain essentials and non-essentials of our church. That how it looks and sounds may change, but we will always be a church founded in the Word of God. We will be a house of prayer a house of worship. We will be a community of believers that serve and are hospi and hospitable to other people of all walks of life. We will love people and we will love them with the truth. And it is for the sake of Jesus, not ourselves. And I don't care if anybody ever knows my name my job is not to make my name known, but to make his name known, to make Jesus famous. I don't want to be famous. Let's make the kingdom of heaven famous because that is the only way that lives are changed, hope is found, relationships are restored. So down goes me first. 
A me-first mentality turns people away, and that is why John, you see his tone shift in his letter a little bit when he talks about diotrephes. He says, and when I show up, I'm about to bring this to his attention. And then lastly, John says in verse 11, he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Ephesians 5.1, Paul says it this way, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. My last encouragement to you is to be imitators of God. Because ultimately, the people that have been forerunners to your faith and for those that you will be the forerunner to theirs, they're not chasing your example. You're not chasing someone else's example. Paul says it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. So ultimately, it's all about being imitators of God, not man. If you become an imitator of man, you will just be taught a certain style. You'll be taught a certain way. You'll be taught man's traditions. And we get caught up in essentials and non-essentials then, in arguments, in me-first mentalities. But if you're an imitator of God, you'll be a hospitable person that loves God, loves people, and loves sharing God with people. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? God, all over this place right now, we just, right now, God, confess in every way that we have ever been about ourselves. I pray that you would take down the me in me. Dethrone me from the throne of my heart and take your place again in my life. That everything I do would be centered around loving you and loving people. That we would be imitators of you. And God, I pray that we would be encouraged today to be great men and women of the faith. That we would be willing to pioneer places that even the people that went before us didn't pioneer in the faith. And we will do so so that others may find the trail that we blazed and can find their way to you as well. Lord God, I thank you for those that have gone before us in the faith. I thank you for those of you that have gone before us here at New Life Church and are the reason why that we exist at 1803 Eastville Avenue and they're the reason why entire families are following you. They're the re- all of their giving over the years, all of their serving have all led to this moment so all of us can participate in following what they, f- they pioneered but also that it is not done yet and we will continue to move forward and trail and blaze new trails for those that are to follow. So God, we're praying for lives changed, hope found, relationships restored. We're praying that we would step up in our faithfulness to you and that we would, that we would find great joy in seeing people follow after you. And we would say, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And I pray, God, that in every fashion of our lives, those of us that lead in the marketplace, those of us that lead in life groups, those of us that 
serve in hospitality, those of us that are in relationships, those of us that are married, those of us in our friendships, that we would be an others first type person, that we would be the friend that is an encourager, that we wouldn't be draining on other people and their energy, that we would not be asking and asking and asking and receiving and receiving, but we would learn the art of giving and receiving, that we would put others before ourselves, because an others first mentality, it attracts people, it doesn't repel people, and I pray that the others first mentality of New Life Church would continue to attract people that need Need you in their lives, God. And would you start here with me? May I always have an other's first mentality as I first seek and hunger after you, my King. In Jesus' name, amen.